0: Can you chew your elations for a second, or did you already? Yeah, eat it? he
1: chewed it. He He's quickly gone. chewed
0: it. James, what the heck? What the heck? Why didn't you <laughs> say that?
1: I don't there want people listening sales. to my mouth. It's weird.
0: The, the ASMR gold. You could have made us like. Mm,
1: you <laughs> All right, you right, gotta right, subscribe right. to my OnlyFans channel. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <sighs> All right, you guys. Hey guys.
2: What's up, party hey. people?
0: <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of the 13th floor. I am Cece.
1: I'm Alex. I'm James.
0: And today we're talking about mysterious places. Yeah. Woo-hoo. Mm. How have you guys been? Uh,
2: good. Been I'm a small child still awake upstairs. I just mm. heard a thud. So hopefully she's still asleep.
0: We'll see. <laughs> James, what about you?
1: Yeah, nothing really to talk about except for our topic.
0: Wow. <laughs> wow. <Yeah. laughs> Handy dandy James. Okay. Well, our topic was submitted last week via Instagram by listener Jimmy R. in Illinois. Okay. Remember him? Yeah. Jimmy, thank you for submitting this topic. Yeah,
2: hey, Jimmy. You're, he's the one that you said saw Peter Dinklage at a bus stop. Yeah, he, saw
0: Pe- he thought he saw Peter Dinklage at a bus stop. <laughs> so that's an important note to take from that. Uh
2: huh.
0: Yeah. And I can't wait to drop from the base today. See who. <laughs> What fun facts we're going to get today!
2: Oh yeah, Yeah. you haven't written them out already. Oh, (laughs) for no matter who they are,
0: they're going to be great. (laughs) They're going to be great.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah, I guess before we get started, before we hop on into our icebreaker, I might as well thank all of our listeners because without you, dear listener, we wouldn't be here, and this would be a lot less fun. So, Mm. thank you for everybody who submitted reviews this week. They mean the world to us. And we want to give a special shout out to all of our listeners in St. Kitts Nevis, also in Sweden. Oh, and here in America, we're going to say hi to ho to all of our listeners in North Dakota. So what is our icebreaker today? Yeah, James, what
1: is uh, it? Okay. Well, you know, since we're doing mystery places and we've already kind of asked a question about places that you've been that was odd, I thought this would be a good time to ask, where have you been that you thought, this feels either very close to like home or more home than home? I could I could live here.
0: Ooh, Alex is looking at me like, F- heck if I know.
1: Uh.
0: um, I would say, honestly, I'd say Paris. I absolutely loved Paris uh. when I went to Paris. Oh. And I'm not talking about Kentucky. Paris, Kentucky is wonderful, but... <laughs> Hmm. Paris, France. I would love to go back there.
2: Huh.
1: Uh. Paris? <laughs> <Nah>. um, <laughs> you go ahead. Okay. Um, there's a little town near Tokyo called Kamakura or Kamakura, depending on how you want to pronounce it. And I just loved it. It was like it was like Gatlinburg for weebs. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it.
0: Maybe maybe you used to live there in a past life, James.
1: Maybe. Yeah, oh. that's why you
0: feel so drawn toward. it. Mm-hmm. Oh. alex hasn't really been many places i've been mm-hmm.
2: places it's just not outside the states and then none of them i'm like yeah i want to <laughs> live there i like florida i'm one of those people that actually likes florida huh.
0: sun and sand baby
2: sun and sand baby <laughs> now i i di- i, I like savannah when we went there but it smells like sewage whenever it rains so it's kind of a hard selling point for me
0: yeah Alex Mm. doesn't like the smell of sewage Mm. for some
2: reason. Yeah, I'm one of the few, I guess. Oddity. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I'm I'm, uh, not a whole lot of places. You know, there was a time where I wanted to live in New York City, but those times are long
1: past. (laughs) Those are are long past for most of the natives at this point.
0: Yeah, yeah. Sorry, New York City.
1: We'll always have Broadway.
0: (laughs) 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 But... Alex, you've only been to one place outside the country, haven't you?
2: Uh, yes.
0: Where was it?
2: I'm trying to remember. It's Saint. Oh, no, Venezuela. It's Saint
0: Kitts. What did you say? Saint Kitts? No. Yeah, you went to Venezuela. Yeah,
2: that was long before uh, its current events. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't
0: that crazy? Of all the places that Alex has been in his life. Venezuela is on the list. Yeah,
1: that is quite surprising. I did not know that.
2: Yeah, we were on a cruise, and that was one of our stops.
1: Oh, gotcha.
0: And yes. He was like an infant. I
2: wasn't oh. an infant, but I was I was still in my little car bed that I was. I was <laughs> tiny.
0: <laughs> oh, I had a red man. car bed. <laughs> James, where, where have you been? What's the most interesting place abroad that you've traveled?
1: Uh, I mean, I think it really would be Japan. I loved Japan. And, you know, I really like, out of the states that I've been to, I really like Colorado a lot. Like, it's very beautiful.
0: A lot of people like Colorado. I haven't been lucky enough to go there yet, but it's on my Mm. list. Well, listeners, why don't you tell us about your favorite places in the world? Hey. Babe, what feels like home away from home for you?
2: Mm. Mars for James.
0: Yeah, Mars. Yeah. James would love to
2: get Mars. (laughs) So
0: are we ready to hop on into the topic?
2: I'm ready.
0: All right, which one of us is going first?
2: Uh, I can go first. I volunteer as tribute.
0: <laughs> All right, Alex. <laughs> you went first last week, too. Oh,
2: if man. you want James to go, he can go first, if you would like. No, we'll- I volunteer l- him as tribute. <laughs> <You>
0: volunteer <James laughs> as tribute. Well, we'll let James finish today. Okay. Okay. Yeah, sorry, James. You're, no, gonna, you're gonna- We'll start dead. strong and end <laughs> week
2: then, I guess is what you're <laughs> 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 Alright, so...
0: Oh, I forgot. This is Alex's place. Did you did you figure out how to pronounce this?
2: You know what? I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Alright. So, I was told... Cece told me that actually I spelt it or I pronounced this wrong when I first started like, mentioning it to her. I tried not to tell her too much beforehand so she could be a little surprised. So, Cece, mm-hmm. try not to read my notes. Uh, but it is sp- uh, pronounced... Uh, Lasco, L- Lasco,
0: Lasco. I like
2: Lascox a lot better, but Lasco, Lasco, Lasco. Yeah. Oh so gosh. the the Lasco cave. Yeah. Meh. Yeah. But I, I picked this not because it's like necessarily spooky or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I picked mine for one reason and one reason only. <gasps> mine was discovered by a robot. What? Yep. That's right. This robot was during 1940. What? And it it was actually a dog named robot.
1: Oh. Dang it. (laughs) Oh, my God. I was so excited. I thought this was some sort of steampunk story.
0: (laughs) That's what I was thinking.
1: Everybody got so excited.
2: (laughs) So, yeah. He actually discovered this cave by falling into it.
0: Oh. Was he okay?
2: Well, shockingly. All the stories about this cave mentioned a dog falling into it to discover it, but that almost all the stories fail to mention what happened to that dog and that its name was Robot. So, <laughs> how do you casually mention a dog falling into a cave and leave me hanging like that? I think that's grounds for arrest. Um, <laughs> but Robot did get saved by his owner.
0: Okay, his on. owner Good went boy. and got
2: three of his friends. And this 18-year-old and these other kids went and busted into this cave and they saved Robot.
0: Good job. Nice. Uh,
2: Upon saving Robot, and they found, they just happened to discover the Lasco Cave. Now, this cave is home to thousands of ancient paintings and engravings, all of which mm. are estimated to be 17,000 years old. Dang. Yeah.
0: That's, that's old.
2: Yeah. yeah. So... Not long after they discovered this in 1940, the cave uh, had all these visitors, about 1,200 visitors a day, and something started happening uh, relatively quickly, especially in 1950, they started noting all these issues arising on the paintings. Mold and other elements were starting to populate in the cave that had not Not been there. Right, that had not been there. And so in 1950, they were like, oh, we need to do something, because the art was starting to degrade. (laughs) Well, it wasn't until 1963 that they actually shut down the cave. Oh, <laughs> my <laughs> gosh. <laughs> Naturally. And they shut it down from the public for good.
0: Okay, so no one's allowed to go there now, right?
2: Even now, which is one of the reasons why I picked this place is because even now we can't go see it.
0: We can't- wow. Yeah.
2: We can't look at the pictures,
0: though.
2: Well, it's not just that. I- I'll-, I'll mention that in just a second. So, yeah, it- it's so cut off now that even scientists and preservationists barely even get to go in. Like, they have limited access to the cave. And the good news is, is like, they've put all these sensors in. They've been able to fully restore all the artwork. Wow. Uh, But, again, the bad news is that you'll never even know if that's true because you'll never get to go see it.
1: (laughs) I wonder why that cave's so fragile compared to, like, uh, that cave, you know, the Cave of Forgotten Dreams or whatever. Or is that the same place? Oh, yeah.
2: It's not the same. Because I I I thought they did tours of that, yeah. I wonder. Now, I know this one. I think it's because, A, when they cracked it open, sunlight was able to get directly into some of the rooms. Mm. And then maybe, I don't know if this is why, but maybe the foot traffic was causing a problem. I know that they were saying that the just the exhalations from 1,200 people a day and the foot traffic oh, was really wearing it out. But wow. the sunlight in combination was creating mold that was growing on the paintings and deteriorating them. Oh, At okay. a pretty rapid pace. I mean, yeah. after 10 years, they were noticing problems
0: yeah. with it crazy. fading.
2: And it, maybe it's because of the materials they used.
0: Well, what uh. what do they look like, the Lascaux paintings? Well, I'm not there yet. Okay, I wasn't sure. If oh, my <laughs> oh, my see, oh, my
2: goodness. Oh, my goodness.
0: dear right. listener, just an indication that I have not read ahead now. <laughs> now <it's- laughs>
2: oh, so, goodness. Uh, there is good news, though, about the Lascaux case, if you do want to see them. There are four recreations. Of the cave. One of them is even made one-to-one scale. Wow. Of the cave.
0: Where is it?
2: Uh, I believe... We'll see. that. There's four. I think the fourth one, which is definitely still in operation. I think uh, the third one was started in 2012, and it's still going. Lasko 4, as it's known, is in... Let's see. It started in 2016, and it is in Snowheta? Inside a hill overlooking... Montignac? I don't know what that is. Montignac sounds like... Oh, no. it's it's in France.
0: It's in France. Oh,
2: never mind. It's in France. Yeah, so it's so
1: weird because the Chauvet Cave is also in France,
2: which and is way, where which is yeah. where this uh, the Lascaux Cave is in France. Yeah, in that's the enough.
1: that's what I mean. That's what's weird. And the reason well. why me and Alex know about the Chauvet Cave is because we're both big fans of Werner Herzog. <laughs> that's what I was gonna
0: say. Like I know a lot about. Herzog
1: and Lascaux Caves.
2: Yeah. Oh, no. Wait, what? Herzog and Lascaux Caves? Chauvet. Whatever.
0: Yeah, Chauvet. Yeah, whatever. Bay
2: Bay. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Goodness. So, yeah, they've got a one-to-one recreation of it that you can go see, and it's supposed to be pretty awesome. But I guess, you know, we aren't here to talk about recreations. There's several somewhat odd things about the paintings inside the Lascaux Caves. Firstly, they are, like, really good. They're like they're stellar. the The <laughs> quality of the drawings and engravings is like really ahead of its time.
1: Second, <laughs> <the> <laughs> ahead materi- of its time, <laughs> <Man>. <laughs> seventeen thousand years ago. Yeah, oh,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so uh, second, second, the materials that would have been needed to do these works was would have been located at like this outpost that was about one hundred and fifty five miles away. Dang. This is, yeah. That's so a long this place is to se- walk. And that's seventeen thousand years ago. So that's that's a little that's a little ways away. <laughs> mm. <laughs> uh next, the drawings go all the way to the ceiling. And some of these rooms go to about nine feet high. Which is really interesting. Like so uh one of the rooms in particular has been dubbed the Sistine Chapel of Prehistory.
0: They like built mm. scaffolding to paint on the ceiling?
2: Yes. So the what, that's what makes it even more interesting is that it looks like with some of the additions into the cave is that they built scaffolding Ooh, inside wow. the cave to do some of the paintings on the ceilings. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Which means that they were burning lanterns inside this cave because it has several, I guess for lack of a better word, rooms yeah. and mm-hmm. each room is dedicated to certain things. But this the Sistine Chapel room, uh was a little deeper into the cave and so they would have been working in that smoke-filled room because they would have been burning these like fat li- like <laughs> fat lamps they had been burning these lamp- <laughs> these lamps and th- the cave should have been filled with smoke if they were having to work in there it's the only way they would have a source of light
0: well that's what i watched the tv show alone mm. if you didn't put a ventilation system in your little hut It got quite smoky. (laughs) (laughs) Man,
1: that's really cool. Wouldn't it be nuts if, like later, you know, some team goes into research it and they find like a fluorescent light that's dated seventeen thousand years? (laughs)
2: That would be (laughs) nuts. That'd be awesome. Now, there's also some interesting things about the art itself. First off, like the artists use the shapes and curves of the walls of the cave to like enhance their drawings and give them like a little bit more perspective hmm. Hmm. and drawings of, of that time, as you would imagine, were typically two dimensional in nature, like just a side view of everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nothing too elaborate. Well, these, these animals had a little more perspective to them because they had sometimes they would turn their head and look behind them or they would be facing a little more onward. Or tilting their head to display like a full set of horns, which at the time was very unusual. And they also had some really unusual animals. Like they had a pregnant horse with one horn Hmm? uh, on its head. Yes. And some theorize, some people theorize that this is a picture of a unicorn.
0: That's what I was going to say.
2: Yes.
1: It's not a theory. It has a horn. It's a dang unicorn. Yes. (laughs) It's what a unicorn is.
2: Yes, oh, now snap. there's there's another animal that they drew that's really mysterious. Like, no, no one really knows what it is, but it has a panther's skin, a deer's tail, a bison's hump, and two horns, and a male unit.
0: Oh! <laughs> Interesting.
2: And so no one has really been able to figure out what this drawing was supposed to be. Now, <laughs> from what from what I was reading, they think that maybe it was some sort of, like, sorcerer or wizard, which I'm like, how does that work?
0: I bet you it was, like, <laughs> the first one they painted, and they are like, this is their practice building.
2: <laughs> they, one of them brought the kid to work that day, and he, the kid decided <laughs> to draw it.
0: Yeah, let's bring <laughs> it kid to work. And day. we're
2: over here going, oh, my gosh, what's it be? Uh, <laughs> but, yeah. The other weird thing, like I previously mentioned, is the prehistoric Sistine Chapel, and it's it also in that room they had a use of perspective, which not just using the curves of the wall, but some of the animals would have smaller hooves on the back and bigger hooves on the front to kind of indicate an animal
0: running Running, forward, running to you,
2: yeah, which is really. Really far ahead of its time. Yeah,
1: I mean, I don't think we, I don't think that Europeans figured that one out till like the Renaissance. That's crazy.
2: Yes, it is. And another thing is, you know, I mentioned the cave had several sections in it. Well, it would have these sections dedicated to specific animals. Like it would have a cat section, and it was just nothing but (laughs) like mountain lions (laughs) and like these types of cats. Another room was for buffalo, another was for. I want to say, well, there was one picture. of. Oh, no, one room was for horses and stags. Mm. And then they also found a picture of a bear, a woolly rhinoceros.
0: Woolly rhinoceros.
2: Mm. Nice. And a a picture of a bird on a stick (laughs) and Mm -hmm. a human who was happy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, goodness. Um, this cave was so far ahead of its time that because if you look some of the pictures, they they took handprints and they took all these colors and like were very like almost impressionistic in a way. Yeah. And in 1940, Pablo Picasso went to go see this newly discovered cave, and he said, "Quote: They've invented everything."
0: Wow, yeah. that's pretty cool. What if it was the first like museum? Like, <laughs> kind of like okay, let's make this little museum for all of our. Oh. Ancient fellows.
1: I'm picturing like a little curator, like basically the Flintstones.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Give us your two little, what are they, the little circular Like coins. conch shells? Yeah, conch oh. shells that they use for payment. Yeah. yeah this will be two conch mm. shells
1: for admission. Or wait, what? Cowery shells. That's right, cowery shells. I trying well, to think of that.
2: I think impressionistic was the wrong word, but it was very beautiful.
0: It was beautiful <laughs> artwork. Well, cool, Alex. That's a nifty yeah. little lasco topic for us babe yeah. good job
2: thanks i'm getting crazy <laughs> <over> here. <laughs> all
0: right let me pull up my notes
2: <laughs>
0: okay all right you guys my sources today are you ready for them i'm ready my sources today are world fr- i'm off to a great start. wow you're
2: you're killing it
0: <laughs> Worldfootprints.com, sciencealert.com science all that's interesting.com and history.com Ooh. So today I'm going to take us all on a little trip to Peru, specifically to the mm. Nazca Desert, because this <laughs> is where the mysterious, because you guys were talking about mysterious places today, this is where the mysterious <laughs> Nazca Lines are located. Bishas. I'm talking mm. about the Nazca Lines, baby.
2: I want to no know more. Yeah. me.
0: And dear listener, if you've never heard of the Nazca Lines, I would recommend looking them up when you're at a safe place and can safely surf the web. Uh, but there are these massive line shapes and drawings called geoglyphs. Some of them are called biomorphs because of what they picture. But they were etched into the Nazca Desert about 2,000 years ago, and they're still there. And when I say they're massive, Alex, I mean they are massive. Oh, they are humongo. I've
2: seen these before. Yeah,
0: I think that all of our listeners have probably seen them at some point or another. Yeah, but, but I
2: never probably knew the name of them.
0: They're called the Nazca Lines. But some are bigger than the Empire State Building. And one line stretches thirty miles long, you guys
1: Ooh. Mm.
0: and some of the designs are very elaborate and they have some they have various animals, like monkeys and birds and llamas and jaguars, and they also have trees and flowers and they also have one famous one that's called the astronaut and it looks like a person uh. wearing a face suit with a big old helmet on his head yeah yep, that's him alex is looking at him right that's now. cool because alex mm-hmm. alex he went to the store recently and he came home with a magazine called mysterious places <laughs> and he was like this will be perfect for our research so anyways when were these lines discovered you guys
2: i don't know
0: was that noise Oh, I think we got a cricket uh, in our house. Yeah,
2: no, we got a cricket. Uh-huh. He's right outside the window.
0: Yeah, oh, I don't mm. know if you guys... I can't know. hear it, so... Okay, that makes me feel better, but explorers apparently came across these lines in the 1500s, and were ju- they just thought they were remnants of some ancient old road, so they were just like, oh, it's an old road. Because back in the 1500s, you couldn't really see the scope and magnitude of these things from the sky. Like, to really take them in and to know what you're looking at, you can't just be on the ground right next to the line and know what you're looking at. You have mm-hmm. to be looking down... From some vantage point. And you guys, if these explorers in the 1500s had just, I don't know, walked up a freaking hill and looked down, they would have seen that these were elaborate designs. And that's exactly what happened ages later, you guys. Mm. In 1927, a Peruvian <laughs> archaeologist named Toribio Meija Zespi. I
1: love that last Ooh. name. Oh,
0: yeah, he walked up a mother clucking hill, and he looked down, <laughs> and he was like, whoa, it's beautiful. That's cool. Yeah, and so began the study of the Nazca lines.
1: I saw and that. I'd lose my mind.
0: I know. Right? Well, you probably would, James. You'd go crazy. But, <laughs> but researchers, they think that, considering the scope of these things, that these people who made them probably made them on a smaller scale before going full steam ahead with the bigger designs. So the terrain where these things are etched in the Nazca Desert, which if my memory serves right, I think it's like 250, maybe less miles south of Lima, but the desert is comprised of this deep red rocky soil. And then when you dig underneath it, there's a lighter subsoil. So people who made these created these huge furrows and they aren't even really that deep, you guys. Hmm. Just six to 12 inches at most. So The fact that they're still around is like kind of crazy. They're 2,000 years old, and it's just like a foot deep. But the Nazca Desert, it's practically... Practically?
2: Practically.
0: It's practically Mm -hmm. a weatherless, dry, arid place that only really nets about 4 millimeters of precipitation a year. Mm, Just a little bit. Yeah, so that's why they're still probably hold strong these days, you guys.
2: Wow. Eh. Lucky us.
0: Yeah, so researchers have been looking into them for years and still aren't entirely sure why... They were created because again you have to be very high up and looking down in order to fully appreciate and understand what you're looking at but there are several theories you guys
2: okay well,
0: hey, theory one yeah. irrigation ditches <laughs> hey. okay I don't know maybe maybe not those
1: are elaborate I'm I'm so skeptical of that but that's that's right up there with swamp gas Well, James- thing looks like an astronaut well you know maybe their crops needed water <laughs>
0: Well, the area they don't get barely any rain, but not far from the lines are these things called—I don't know how to pronounce this, but it's spelled P U Q U I O S. Pequios. Pequios. I'm gonna. You know what? Let's Google this. Let's Pequ- find this out really quick.
2: I'm gonna go with Pequios. Final answer, James. P
1: U Q I Pukios.
0: Pukios. All right. Let's see.
2: Yeah. Let's wait till the podcast to figure this one out. Not that Pukios. I did that
1: today.
0: <laughs> Here it is. Pukios. 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 Oh, hi. Hi. Hey. Right. Good job. Okay, so yeah, they've got these little Pukios, and they're these elaborate spiral-like ditches that it kind of mm. looks like a drain, and they've got rocks that are pressed into it. It kind of looks like a spiral chimney that goes down into this hole, mm. and scientists mm. looked down on them, I think it was in 2016, with satellites, and they theorized that these... Pukios were used to kind of channel water down into the holes into these little canals which would then go out to their irrigation system and the mm. wind would force the rain basically down the little spiral into the, mm. the thing and push the water through the canals to basically keep this area a sustainable place to live because it really isn't that hospitable. but mm. it's pretty advanced stuff considering this was all made between 200 and 600 BC. Yeah. Nice. Some researchers think that the Nazca lines may have had something to do with the irrigation system in the area. Like they were somehow the Pukios and the Nazca lines were connected. I don't know. Mm. But even crazier about these Pukios is that they were built over tectonic faults. So the people who made these had to really understand the geology of the area when they were huh. building them. Wow. Yeah, it's mm. crazy. And the coolest, yeah, some of the, some of the Pukios still work today, you guys. Oh. Yeah. Nice. It's nuts. Okay, theory two. All right, perhaps the most fun one, and this is the one that I think James mm. James buys into. Okay, <laughs> aliens, <laughs> aliens made it, and this like this is my thing when it comes to these Nazca lines is that you have to be so high up to really appreciate what you're looking at. So, mm. who were they making these things for? You know, because I don't yeah. know about you, but I'm not sure if they had any. Sus- substantial type of aircraft way back in 100, 200 BC hmm. that they could right. have like flown over with and look at.
1: Yeah. I think it was either aliens, gods, or some of them were just very tall.
0: Or maybe they <laughs> mistook aliens for gods. Or
1: ali- or yeah. p- humans could fly back then.
0: It's true. Maybe yeah. they could. I mean, if they could make a p- kiosk, who, who's <laughs> saying they can't make an airplane?
2: <laughs> yeah. If they can make a wheel, why can't they fly? Yeah. <laughs>
0: Well, <laughs> it honestly, aliens is one of the more popular theories behind the Nazca lines. Some people think they were even just made by aliens, mm. like it wasn't even the Nazca people. But some people think that they may have affixed, I don't know, something like a shovel to a flying saucer and just been like woo and created a straight line for thirty miles. <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> but other people think that they're actually flying saucer landing strips or runways. So basically, like an mm-hmm. ancient alien airport and do you all know why the alien theory is so popular
2: because people like aliens oh people love mm.
0: no it's because the Nazca people they actually practiced mummification so we found some well preserved uh. presumed Nazcan bodies and skeletons and some of them are a little odd looking oh and James mm-hmm. James uh. you, you keep your mouth shut <laughs> don't ruin this for me mm. there's more to okay. this But there are some (laughs) bodies with elongated skulls, which has kind of perpetuated the idea that, oh, aliens were in the area. And then they also found a mummy that apparently had three fingers on each hand. Yeah. That's Um, what
2: happens when you steal four times.
0: Well, unfortunately, (laughs) Alex. (laughs) Archaeologists believe that this was a hoax mummy. Oh, I guess somebody just found the mummy and removed four of the fingers, uh, so there were just three left on each so gap. So that
2: pulse, that person stole four, so he has six fingers now too.
0: Boy, another thing you don't want to get too excited about, and that is the elongated skulls. Oh, this the Nazca performed artificial cranial deformation. Oh. Where they would bind the skulls, little teeny tiny newborn babies, so that their skulls would, when they were still soft, it would make them elongated.
2: I wonder why they're not around still.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, apparently it was like, it was a, a possibly a status symbol. Oh,
1: yeah. yeah. I wonder
0: if the rulers had like the elongated heads. So it's like, look, yeah. ruler right here. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: But some people also point to the astronaut biomorph and they're like aliens because it kind of looks like an astronaut or an alien or something. But here's the thing about the astronaut, you guys. It does clearly look like a person with a big head, but apparently much of their artwork exaggerated features on various creatures. So it's possible they may have just exaggerated this person's head in the the painting.
1: Uh, or I guess the Nazca
0: hmm. line technically. And it's also the this particular Nazca line is kind of drawn up on a hill. So, to me, it almost looks like a person that's looking out at the rest of the lines.
2: Uh Oh. Yeah.
0: But to even further bust down the idea that aliens helped make these designs, because, you know, some people look at these lines and think there's no way people 2,000 years ago could have made this without some highly advanced help, but in reality, the Nazca lines probably weren't all that difficult to sculpt out because, again, they're not very deep.
2: <laughs> yeah, not that impressive,
0: Nazca. <laughs> <laughs> they're just just 6 to 12 inches deep is how big these furrows are.
1: Oh, that's crazy that they've not eroded. I know. Wow.
0: Exactly. Isn't it nuts? But all they would really need is something like a rake to do it. So hmm. while well, it was probably time-consuming to draw a line 30 miles long and create these you know, crazy trees and hummingbirds and monkeys, it probably it probably wasn't too difficult. Like I don't think that aliens were needed. When I picture it in my brain, I picture them marking off the land in squares and kind of figuring out what to draw in each quadrant. Apparently researchers say they believe the NASC has also used stakes and ropes to kind of plot out the designs and that some of the supposed stakes have actually been found. On the site.
1: Mm.
0: Yeah. And in reality, again, they did not have to actually be in the sky to fully see and kind of appreciate this art and the full glyphs. They could have just climbed up a hill like Toribio Mejia Zespi did. Anyways, the last theory I'll discuss. This is theory four, you guys, if I've counted correctly. Did I just jump from theory two to theory three?
2: I don't know if you numbered to number three if there was a three. Yeah, no, there was no
0: three. I'm sorry. This is theory three. (laughs) But (laughs) the Nazca Lines were used for ceremonial rituals. Wait a minute. No, no. I totally skipped notes. Okay, here I am. Okay, I'm back.
2: Okay, we're here.
0: But straying away from the more out there theory of aliens, we got theory three. The Nazca Lines may have been an ancient calendar. Uh. Meh. Okay. For a long time archaeologists thought that they corresponded with like constellations in the sky and celestial events and that they could mm. kind of keep track of time that way. It's like when the I don't know. I think this is the way I think it worked. When the big dipper is above the monkey,
1: it's February.
2: Uh, uh, every every time a scientist can't explain something, they go it's a calendar.
1: It's a- <laughs> yeah, <laughs> swamp gas or a calendar.
0: Yeah. <laughs> They, I guess they could kind of like plant their crop cycles and all the stuff around because they didn't have very much rain. They had to be very precise with what they were doing in order to survive. Wow. But this theory has fallen out of favor over the years because you guys, the lines don't really match up with any of the constellations. So,
2: <laughs>
0: But the Nazca people didn't have a written language, so it's kind of hard to... Hard to know well, about that. Well,
2: those lines match up with the aliens' constellations. That's why we didn't be able to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Yeah. Maybe.
0: <laughs> so, the last theory I'm going to discuss today is this theory four. It's that the Nazca lines were used for ceremonial rituals or religious purposes, like paying homage to the gods mm-hmm. up in the skies. And this is the most popular theory right now. Most popular. Mm-hmm. Most popular. And... It's that they were possibly used for trying to ask the gods for rain because, again, dry, arid. They probably needed a little help in the rain department every once in a while. So mm. they had these elaborate pukios for collecting and using their water. But I bet when they started getting a little empty, the Nazca people were probably like, uh-oh, Ooh. you might need to reach out to the powers above for a little help. But further evidence of this water request theory is that there are spider, monkey, and hummingbird glyphs and spiders were associated with rain for sure way back when and monkeys and hummingbirds and all these animals that they kind of drew kind of lived in jungles where water was usually plentiful. So,
1: Mm.
0: uh, and at the end of some of these Nazca lines, there are big piles of rocks and underneath the rocks were these kind of slabs that some people suppose may have been used as altars. And I watched a little video on YouTube from Discovery UK, and apparently on some of these altars were the skeletons of crabs and mollusks and various, like, sea critters. And some people think that they may have brought these sea animals to be like, oh, give us some water. Uh, Mm. We'll give you this crab that used to live in the water. (laughs) And then lastly, the site is littered with a whole bunch of ancient broken pottery. And ceramics, so people think that they may have smashed vases, pop, and pots, and things during rituals. Yeah, smashed
2: the things that you could use to catch water.
0: Maybe that's why they (laughs) did it. They're like, this is empty.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You know who likes uh, crabs? Octopus. And you know what God has an octopus face? Cthulhu.
2: Oh, Yeah.
0: There you go. Wow, Jane.
1: Mystery solved.
0: (laughs) Mystery solved. So do you guys want to go see the Nazca Lines with me? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, let's go. I mean, whenever we're able to leave our houses again. But (laughs) the site is protected, so you can't just walk around it freely if you go there. They do have an observation tower that you can go on. They have some walking tours. But they also have little helicopter rides that you can take. And according to TripAdvisor.com, you can take a 35-minute copter ride for $84 a person, which doesn't sound too crazy to me. No. If you're going to go see the yeah. Nazca lines, you might as well get in a freaking helicopter. You know what I mean? Yeah. If you can yeah. afford it. Some people, you know, some people might just prefer to walk on the ground and see them. But there are more expensive options if you want to do, like, a longer ride. But my fear, if I were to do the $84 one, would be, like, what if I'm on the wrong side of the plane that gets to see everything? You know what I mean? You
2: like mean the you, helicopter?
0: The helicopter, yeah. Like, you know, when. You, you know,
2: they're going to move it around so everybody can see yeah, it. Yeah,
0: right? but, you know, sometimes you go to like a, an amusement <laughs> this, park this and you're isn't on the a ride. plane where
2: you're just kind of <laughs> like confined this, to one side. Was,
1: yeah, this is a very irrational fear. <laughs>
0: it's, it's a fear, though. It's a fear that I have. I don't want to waste my money. You know what I mean?
1: <laughs> but, <laughs> well,
0: it is an UNESCO. Is that how you say it? unesco yeah i say
1: say unesco but a unesco
0: UNESCO protected site hey minus two
1: yeah
0: as it should be but humans you guys we are freaking messes garbage can now be found littered about the site which is ridiculous Mm. because people can't freaking pick up after themselves also in 2014 greenpeace protested near the famous hummingbird design and they laid down these giant cloth letters that spelled out time for change. The future is renewable. Greenpeace. And they Mm -hmm. clobbered all over some of the Nazca lines. Oh my God.
2: Isn't that insane? Greenpeace.
0: And then in 2018, some truck driver just drew out on the line and messed up a whole bunch of them. He was like, he was detained afterward. And rightly so. <laughs> and lastly, another thing that might put these things in danger is climate change. Mm. The weather's starting to change in the area, so it's possible that at some point it might flood. And when it floods, these things are probably gonna be done for.
1: You know what'd be really crazy? What if they're like shrinky dinks and when it rains, they like actually become big poofy animals? <laughs> oh, that, right. <laughs> that would be insane.
0: Well <laughs> I like the ideas that James Brain comes up with. But if you do, Mm. if you want to go see these, I would recommend doing it sooner than later because the earth is falling apart right now. (laughs) Go go see the Nazca Lines. So, you guys, that's the Nazca Lines. Sir James, what are you talking about today?
1: You know, you guys messed up. You guys messed my OCD up. Uh, I was going to do the Naga Fireballs and the Maharashtra Snake Village. Uh But see, you, you did a UNESCO site. And Alex, you did a UNESCO site. So now I have no choice but to do a UNESCO site. Oh so my god. I'm changing it. Last oh minute, gosh. fifth quarter, Hail Mary pass. <laughs> I'm go, I'm going to do Göbekli Tepe. Wow.
0: So, James, I good. am yeah. I am excited for you. And also kind of scared. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. So, Göbekli Tepe is in Turkey. And do you guys know anything about it incidentally? No. No. Okay, I'm just curious. I'm excited. curious. it's a UNESCO site. That's one thing you should know. but yes. The thing that I find most fascinating about Gobekli Tepe, and I have really, like, lo- I've fell down so many rabbit holes about this place over the years, <laughs> um, is because it is the oldest religious site on Earth to a level that, I mean, if you had asked me before I found out about it, if you'd asked me, like, uh, what's the oldest temple in the world, I would have assumed something from Sumeria, maybe, you know. Six thousand years ago, but this is from twelve thousand years ago. This is from a period that, prior to its discovery, people didn't think temples existed. If you if you had any deities at all, if human beings had developed deities at all, they were you know something you'd put a stone slab in the middle of the woods and maybe kill a sheep or something. It was not <laughs> something that should have existed. In fact, uh, prior to this, people really didn't think that humans engaged in societies at all they thought that human beings pretty much just lived nomadic existences and didn't really congregate in large groups and here not only do we see a, a religious site that sort of predates really agriculture and villages and gatherings but it really turns it on its head the the original claim about religion as a human concept is that people got good <laughs> at agriculture And that led to little villages. So now people are living in groups of 50, 100, 150, rather than, you know, groups of like, you know, you and just your siblings and knock on woods when you're wandering in the forest. One day you you find someone who's not related to you to start a family with yourself. (laughs) But instead, instead, these temples came before. Agriculture. Oh, so instead wow. of agriculture leading to religion, religion led to agriculture. That's the theory that's, that's revolving around this. On top of that, You know, not only is it from 10,000, well, before 10,000 B.C., but really they didn't abandon it until 8,000 B.C. So that means that it had an over 2,000-year lifespan. I can't think of a religious site today that's still been in use for 2,000 years. Maybe some exist, but goodness, that is just remarkable to me. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, I mean, it turned a lot of suppositions on its head. In addition, the thing that's really also surprised me about this is things are still constantly coming to light about it. It wasn't really discovered until the 60s, and a lot of excavations didn't really start until the late 90s. That's when I learned a whole bunch of stuff was after that period. Uh, and it was, you know, I had already had well-established views on how societies had formed a long, long, flipping time ago. And this when i first learned this it was just one of those things where it's like everything i understood about humanity got inverted or subverted and it's just remarkable there's there's 200 big old t-shaped pillars cut into 20 different circles, which in and of itself is interesting because that means that it's metrically built. You know, that's something that really I think of the United States as as developing uh, a metric system currency. And we haven't even adopted the metric system for flipping roads. And yet they <laughs> had divided things based on 10. Uh, additionally, all the pillars and all the other aspects of the site, the, the animals that have been carved into the pillars, they follow that sacred geometry that we've touched up on uh, numerous hmm. times. You, you can you can follow elements of geometry that follow both uh, the, the Fibonacci sequence and other aspects of sacred geometry. So. It, it, the, one of the reasons why I kind of wanted to cover this, I was even mulling it over while Alex was talking, because he was talking about the art and how far advanced it was. Mm-hmm. Was well, some of these totems that you we see at Göbekli Tepe, uh, just the the detail does not seem like something that should have existed flipping twelve thousand years ago. Yeah. Yeah. We, we found a lot of interesting things. We found pottery. We've found, uh, as I mentioned before, pillars adorned with animals. Presumably, this is, I think, a very tentative theory, though, that um, these animals exist to sort of guard the uh, sacrifices or those buried at the temple site, mm. or maybe even just to protect the temple itself. Also, they have something, and I, this is where we I start rambling about commonalities among religions, we see human figures with animal heads as well. And again, that's something hmm. – it, it blows my mind because that's something I think of when I think of Sumerians and other Mesopotamians right. and Egyptians. It's not something I would think of for a flipping 12,000 BC Turkey. It's, it's just mind-blowing. It's where we start seeing – these commonalities that either happen organically just because of the human condition or because there's some sort of source religion that just sort of got filtered like like reflections in a house of mirrors over the millennia and have become the different religions that we see today. But they all have some single unified source based on some amazing epic event. And I know that's very uh, subjective and, and me speculating, but it's just it's one of those things that makes my mind just start racing when I think about it. It's very um, cool. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 remarkable. And as I mentioned, uh, they started really excavating in 1996. And when do you guys think they probably got finished with excavating all these amazing and intricate things?
0: I think they're still doing it. That's my. Guess.
1: They're still flipping doing it. That's yeah. exactly right. So it's just, I mean, again, we will still. There's more to be learned from this place. The more I think about, it, I know that at this point I'm kind of kind of rambling, but it's just it's one of those things where it's it's difficult to really pinpoint the things that that really make it stand out because it has so much common overlap with other things like, like even the deities themselves. They have a lot of physiological similarities and even their purposes. Uh, you know, as I mentioned, this sort of led to agriculture according to some people. There are there are shamanic aspects to the temple which you know that would be pre-agricultural behavior but then you have deities to agriculture and and two different animal um husbandry type uh, deities you know for shepherds and whatnot but they correspond with Sumerian deities so we definitely can see where there's been a direct influence at least in that sense hmm. And as we know, Sumerian deities have had an influence even, well, I mean, even on today. I mean, when we think of angels, our depiction of angels don't match the biblical depiction of angels. Those are things are terrifying. There are <laughs> wheels within wheels and eyeballs of fire. And uh, when we think of angels, we think of winged people. Well, that's a Sumerian thing. Well, that's a Gobekli Tepe thing. So... Even now, Mm -hmm. things that, even though we didn't discover this temple until the 60s, we see things that we have now. You can go to a Hallmark store right now and see a flipping cherub, and then you can go to Gobekli Tepe and see the precursor to that.
0: Mm.
1: Very interesting. Yeah.
0: Uh, Have you heard that it could, some people speculate it could be Eden.
1: Uh, yeah, I have. Uh, I've heard some people argue that it's Jericho. Some people argue that it's Eden. Um, there's a lot of speculation, but it's it's one of those things where you know I th- I think I have some outlandish views, but I think the Eden thing's a little bit I Out don't there? know outland. Yeah, I, I can see it being a precursor to the Eden myth, but I, I don't think that it's likely that this place was was actually some sort of garden where humanity. You
0: no, know, you can go onto Google Maps and look at it. They've got some yeah. Google, Google Maps on there where you can go and-
2: You can actually go into the site
1: and look around.
0: Yeah, pretty nifty. Uh-huh.
1: Yeah, I, I just, I absolutely think it is one of the most remarkable things, not just because it's so old, but because it really like, like if you go to a museum, for example, and you go to different uh, sections that di- showcase different Facets of human history of, you know, Southeast Asia, uh, Egypt, uh, the Aztecs, et cetera. You know, they all have things that you kind of feel a commonality. But then when you see Gobekli Tepe and you realize just how far back it extends, it's kind of like looking at the religious equivalent of a missing link. Very interesting.
0: I like how you just you you changed your plan for what you're talking about the last minute, and you still you still outshined both Alex. Whoa, and myself. Whoa!
2: Don't oh. drag me down. Yeah,
1: do. I wouldn't go that <laughs> far. But thank you, I appreciate
0: that. <laughs> <sighs> oh well, James, that's awesome. Thank you for talking about
1: go big leap. Go big leap,
0: <laughs> is it time to draw from our vase? It's time Alex, Ugh. get the vase Draw, draw, draw from the vase And thank you to everybody who submitted topics to us We got a ton of new we submissions this week
2: Okay, grabbing one
0: Grab one, what's it say, baby? Are you ready? I'm ready Okay, next week we were talking about remote viewing
2: I don't know what that Ooh.
1: is
0: James, do you want to give a little, just a little quick Explanation sure. of what remote viewing is? I mean, I
2: use remote viewing sure. like every day <laughs>
0: Remote viewing
1: it? is a form of extrasensory perception whereby someone can describe things that are happening far, far away from where they are, and it's one of those things that. Well, I won't go too far into That's it. It's a twin
2: thing. You, you know. know, you know about this, James.
1: <laughs> it's a, it's a CIA thing. It's a Stranger Things thing.
0: Okay, it's a crazy, well, cool. crazy thing. And this topic was suggested to us by Don in Kentucky. Oh.
2: Don. Oh.
0: I know Don. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys want to hear some fun facts about Don?
2: <laughs> Let's hear some fun facts for Don.
0: All right, you guys. So Don thought about auditioning for Supermarket Sweep, oh. but ultimately didn't submit application. Oh. Oh. The time ran out. But you know, they are releasing- Eternal regret. They're re- releasing <laughs> a new season. They're revamping the show, oh. bringing it back. Mm. Leslie Jones is going to be the host. Who? Leslie Jones from oh, SNL. Oh yeah. She's hilarious. I love her. So, anyways, mm, sorry, wow. Don did not actually submit his application to be on supermarket sweep, so he missed missed the boat there. And then also he really wants a pot-bellied pig as a pet. Well, like, he really wants one, but his landlord mm. won't let him have one. Uh, <laughs> so You know,
1: Gobegli Tepe means potbelly hill in Turkish.
0: Well. Another fun fact off the top of James's miraculous head.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So you guys,
0: that is, that is our episode of mysterious places this time around. Uh, If you guys want to hear about any other mysterious specific places, definitely submit them to us. Alex, where can people send their submissions? Actually, no, no, no.
2: yeah, no. I I said, you can give me a shot if you want, but uh, you're going to (laughs) be disappointed. (laughs) We're going to ask
0: James, James, where can people submit their topics?
1: Um, they can submit their topics on our Instagram at Thirteenth Floor Podcast, right?
0: Yes. <laughs> or,
1: or our ER Gmail, uh at Thirteenth Floor Podcast at Gmail dot com, or our website Thirteenth Floor Podcast.com.
0: Yeah, definitely send them any way that you want to get a hold of us. I take most, I take most of our submissions via Instagram. That's where most of them yeah. come in.
1: Yeah, once in a while we get one elsewhere, but Instagram is definitely like. Mm-hmm. That's the highway. That's the express lane.
0: Yeah, if you want to talk we've to me. And we got a few on
1: Facebook, but yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, if you want to talk to me and you want to get that topic into the vase, 100% for real, you send it to me. Alex, who does our music?
2: Our music is by Grant Cook. You can find his music on Amazon Music, Spotify, iTunes, anywhere you listen to music.
0: So, you guys, <laughs> until next time, we hope that you can... Keep it straight. straight.